Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Dr. David Jeremiah. Dr. David Jeremiah is a great friend to this ministry. The mission of his broadcast ministry, Turning Point, is to deliver the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. Through his daily program, his expository teaching is helping millions of people grow in their knowledge of God's Word. You can watch Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah weekdays at 9 a.m. Mountain Time on Miracle Channel. And now, Dr. David Jeremiah will teach on how to deal with guilt. He will follow King David's path to overcoming guilt as written in the Psalms and will bring forth some powerful truths from Scripture to equip you against guilt and shame. Let's dive into the message. King David was one of the greatest men who ever lived. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a great king. He was the sweet singer of Israel. He was a warrior. He was a, a mighty man of God. But as you know, during a midlife crisis, when he decided not to stay with his troops in war and came home, he was leisurely around the house at night, around the palace, and he couldn't sleep. According to the scriptural report, he went out to walk on the palace roof, and as he did, he looked off into the courtyard below, and there he saw a very beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba who was bathing herself in the twilight. And the Bible says that his passions were aroused and he summoned to have this woman brought to the palace. He committed adultery with her and sent her back to her home only to be aware of the fact that he had committed a terrible sin which got even more complicated when a few uh, days later the word got to him that this woman was with child and that the child was his. David knew that if he didn't do something to cover his sin, that it would be the end of his reign as a godly king. He tried everything to figure out a way out of it, and finally he decided the best way to take care of it was to summon her husband home from the war. Her husband's name was Uriah, and he was serving at the battlefront for Israel. And so David had him brought back from the war, and when he came home, he gave him a bottle of wine and some good food and encouraged him to go down and spend the evening with his wife. And David's thought process was, if he is there with his wife, there's enough leniency in the time schedule here that no one will know but what he's the father of the child. But what he didn't count on was that Uriah was a much more noble man than he was. And Uriah said, David, I can't go down and spend a night with my wife and a good meal in my home when all of my buddies are out on the battlefield and fighting against the enemy. And so instead of going down to be with his wife that night, Uriah slept on the steps of the palace. Do you remember that? David woke up the next morning and realized that Uriah had not gone to be with his wife and that his plan had been foiled. And so he didn't know what to do. Finally, after trying a number of other things, David sent a note back with Uriah to be given to Joab, the general who was in charge of the troops. And the note said something like this, send Uriah to the hottest spot of the battle and then withdraw from him. 
so that he will be killed. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uriah was put at the front of the battle and he was killed. And David had been responsible for his murder. He was even so bold as to send a note explaining what to do by the hand of the man who would die through his plan. Now David has committed adultery and he has committed murder. And when he comes back to his routine as the king, he has no peace in his heart. As we enter the story in today's lesson, one year has gone by. The child that was born to David and Bathsheba is about three months old, and David has been carrying the burden of this sin in his heart for all of these months. There are two Psalms that tell us what it was like for David. One is Psalm 32, and the other is Psalm 51. Psalm 32 was written after David got all of this straightened out, but Psalm 51 is without question one of the most uh, heart-rending scriptures in all of the Old Testament. For Psalm 51 is how David dealt with the guilt of his life. Psalm 32 tells us some additional things about how David dealt with all of this, so we're going to turn back and forth between these two Psalms. And the first thing that we note in in studying what David did about his guilt was we have to understand a little bit about the agony he was going through. So let's talk about the agony of guilt. In Psalm 32, we are told in the aftermath of David's sin as he went through this intense emotional pain, Psalm 32 speaks of the anguish of his soul. First of all, in verse 3, David speaks of the silence, how he couldn't speak. So when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. David couldn't talk to the Lord about his sin, and therefore he couldn't talk to the Lord about anything. Because how many of you know that the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, Psalm 66, 18. So David no longer had fellowship with God. His heart became silent. His communication with God was cut off. His guilt began to take on physiological dimensions. He says that his bones grew old through his groaning all the day long. He literally became physically ill from carrying the guilt of what he had done. The next verse in Psalm 32, verse 4, tells us that he was filled with sorrow. He said, for night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the draught of summer. King David was still commanding all of his subjects as the king, but he could not command his own conscience. And he was filled with agony. His freshness of life was gone. It was replaced with bitterness and anguish. His conscience was filled with disgust, breaking his communion with God. His life was a mess. And then there was this whole matter of it being a secret sin. There was secrecy involved. One of the reasons that he suffered so much was there was no one with whom he could even convey his pain. He couldn't tell a soul. Nobody knew what David had done except for Bathsheba and Joab. And while his sin with Bathsheba may not have been planned, David's sin against Uriah was certainly planned and strategized and premeditated. 
For over a year, David tried to live with his guilt and he couldn't go anywhere with it. He couldn't tell anyone. He couldn't talk to God because he'd cut off his relationship with the Almighty. He had no friends to talk with and you can just see the anguish of his guilt just, just reducing him to, to a mere shadow of the man that he had been as the great leader of Israel. Then the Lord decided to send someone to help David out of his problem. And we come to the accusation of guilt. Now, this story, as you know, is recorded back in 2 Samuel. And I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the story. Let me just refresh your memory about what happened. God went to Nathan, who was David's preacher, if we can use that vernacular. And he said, Nathan, you have a parishioner who needs a visit. <laughs> Obviously, the Lord God revealed to Nathan all that had happened in David's guilt and sin. And uh, Nathan didn't know exactly how to go about confronting a king, so he decided to tell David a story. And this is the story that he told him. He said there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had many flocks and herds, and the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that had grown up with him and his children. And the little lamb ate the poor man's food and drank from his cup and lay in his bosom, and the lamb was like a daughter to this poor man. And one day a traveler came by and needed some food. And the rich man refused to kill any of his many lambs, and instead he took that one poor lamb from that poor man, and he prepared it for the visitor to eat. And of course, if you think through the story, you know that the poor little lamb is Bathsheba, and the poor man is Uriah, her husband, and the rich man is David. But of course, David hasn't figured this out yet. He is outraged that anybody would do such a terrible thing as Nathan has described. And he looks at Nathan and he says, Nathan, who, he said, whoever has done such a thing shall surely die. And then he said, not only that, in 2 Samuel 12, 6, he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David was incensed. And I like to think of the timing of this moment when Nathan the prophet then, with his long bony finger, put his finger right in David's nose and he said, David, you are that man. And we're all holding our breath, aren't we? <laughs> he was confronted with his sin. Now, just at that moment, we may think that's the most awful thing that could happen to someone who has done what David has done. But I have to tell you that while it was an awesome moment for David, a moment of great and intense agony, it was also a moment of great relief. At last, the thing that he had hidden for all of these months was known. At last, it was out in the open where he could deal with it. And he began to deal with his admission of his guilt. And that takes us to Psalm 51, where we read in the superscription that's written over the psalm, and if you follow your Bibles carefully and you study your Bibles carefully, you'll notice that you can get some good information just from reading what's written over the psalm. This is what it says on the title of the Psalm 51. Here's what it says. A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So in other words, this psalm was written after this encounter that we just talked about when Nathan had confronted David with his sin. And David now is going to Call out to God. And if you want to know how to deal with guilt in your life, if you have any guilt or if you've ever dealt with guilt, if you know somebody that's got guilt, here's what David did. And this is the pattern 
that we follow when we try to face the giant of guilt in our life. First of all, you need to understand that he accepts full responsibility for his sin. That's where it begins. He accepts full responsibility for his sin. He never tried to push it off on anyone else. He claimed full responsibility. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm 51, you will notice how often he uses the personal pronoun. I've put together these verses with the pronoun italicized on the screen. Watch this. Have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned. What was David doing? Stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility for it. You know, that's almost a lost art in our generation. We have come to such a wonderful way of excusing all of our ill behavior on other people and other things and the circumstances and the job and the environment and all of that. Well, I, was, I wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for this. You know, the only way you will ever get freedom from guilt is to step up to the plate, acknowledge what you've done, and take full responsibility for it. That's what David did. You say, well, I don't need that. Well, you need it if you want to get well. You need it if you want the burden lifted off of you. If you keep covering it and hiding it and pushing it away, and then you will never know the relief that we're going to see David finds here in a few moments. Take full responsibility for his sin. He didn't blame heredity. He didn't blame society. He didn't blame this fallen nature. He just looked himself in the mirror and said, I'm the one. It's my responsibility. And then he acknowledges the sinfulness of sin. He doesn't try to soft pedal what he has done. Because there's no way to get rid of guilt until you first of all acknowledge that you've done wrong. And I'm not talking about big things. I'm talking about anything. If you want forgiveness and relief from guilt, you have to step up to the line and take responsibility for what you've done. You have to acknowledge that what you've done is wrong. And then you have to make your confession to Almighty God. Notice what David said. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight? And he confesses his sin to Almighty God. He sees that ultimately his sin is an insult and an injury to God, the God of grace, the God who had so wonderfully blessed him. And so he confesses his sin to God. There's only one person in this universe who can forgive your sin, and that's God Almighty. I cannot forgive your sin. I can pray to God for you. Your priest can't forgive your sin. Your pastor can't forgive your sin. There's only one person in all of the universe who can forgive sin, and that's Almighty God. So when you come with your guilt and you acknowledge what you've done and you accept the responsibility for it, then you offer it up to Almighty God and you say, Lord God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Now I want you to notice what David asked God to do for him in the answer to guilt. First of all, he said, God, remove my sin. Psalm 51, 2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The only way David could deal with these sins was to ask God to blot them out of the book. Lord, take the magic marker and just cross through them in the book that's written against me. How many of you know God can do that? That he will. 
And then David asked, Lord God, don't just forgive my sin, but restore my joy. How many of you know that when you've done something and you haven't dealt with it, that's got to be the most miserable experience you can go through? I mean, if you've ever lived with something that, that you know you shouldn't have done, that you haven't dealt with properly, and it's lurking back there in the background, and you're trying to deal with it, it can just take all of the fun out of life. Can I get a witness? And this is what David said. He said, verse 8, Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice, and restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous by your generous spirit. Now, David isn't asking God to give him back his salvation because he hasn't lost his salvation, but he's saying, God, give me back the joy of my salvation. How many of you know you can lose the joy of your salvation sometimes? You're walking along trying to honor God, and then you, and you do something you shouldn't do, and then all of a sudden, you, the joy is gone. And Lord, renew my fellowship with you. Notice verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. To be cast away from the presence of God would mean that a person would be lost forever. David actually feared that he, he might be lost, but he prays that God would not take his Holy Spirit from him. And I'm reminded that there was a day when David became king, when in the Old Testament we're told that God removed his spirit from Saul and placed him in David because of Saul's sin. David didn't want that to happen. He said, Lord God, don't ever take your Holy Spirit from And then David begins to refocus on the future. Notice in verse 12, uphold me, Lord God, by your generous spirit. Lord, I've been through this. I don't ever want to go through it again. How many of you know if you've ever been through something like this and you get on the other side of it and you get it all taken care of and you get it confessed and forgiven and all of that, there's a sense in which you need to sit right down then and make some covenants with God. Lord God, I don't ever want to go down this road again. I don't ever want to go through this mess again. So uphold me with your spirit. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Lord God, keep me focused now on the future so nothing like this ever happens to me again. But here's the good news. Listen to me. I don't care what you've done, how bad it may be, what anybody has said to you about what you've done. There is no sin that is too great that it cannot be forgiven by Almighty God. Do you hear me? God is willing to forgive any sin you may think you have sinned away God's grace and that there's nothing God can do for you, but I'm here to tell you, no matter what you've done, God forgave a murder and adultery in one man. God forgave him, and God will forgive you. But he's not going to forgive you if you don't come at it the way David did. David came at forgiveness and restoration through his understanding of how God deals with us. Yes, God is gracious, but God doesn't trivialize what we do when we face it then god accepts what we've said and he forgives us as he forgave david and as he wants to forgive any of us and as he has forgiven me you know all of us have our little stories of things in the past that have happened and nobody knew about it when i was a student back in high school I worked for a hardware store in Cedarville, Ohio. And uh, the man who ran that hardware store was a wonderful guy, but he was a hard taskmaster. Once in a while, I'd get to work on the floor. And uh, one day I was working, and someone came in from outside, and 
I, I don't know what they wanted to buy. It was a $20 item that was out on the sidewalk, and I, I sold it to them, took the money, and I had to go do something and put the money in my pocket, and I went home. And I didn't do that on purpose, but when I got home, I realized that I had kept that money and that it hadn't been put in the register. And uh, so I got to thinking, you know, $20 was a lot of money to me. This guy had been working me way overtime, and I hadn't getting paid for it. I mean, I had the whole thing worked out, you know. <laughs> so I just kept the money. I was maybe 15 years old. I didn't think about it a lot at first, but every once in a while I would think about it. And every time I wanted to do something for God, that would come up. And then I went off to seminary, and, and I got married. And uh, we went to our first ministry in uh, Haddon Heights, New Jersey, and I was working with a bunch of young people. And I remember particularly one time I was asked to go to a, the Bible Club camp in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, and speak to a group of young people. And I, I, I went by myself, and I was driving my car up to Upper Darby, and on the way up, I just became so overwhelmed with the guilt of what I had done. And I started figuring up the interest on $20 now for all these years. <laughs> and <laughs> so I stopped in this little town, and. I took, I think, $60 that I had in my pocket, put it in an envelope, and I addressed it to the Cedarville Hardware, but I didn't put any note in it or anything. I just put the money in the envelope, just sent it back. I figured now at least, you know, I've done this. Well, you know, I hadn't confessed it. I hadn't asked for forgiveness, and it was still heavy on my heart. And I know you're going to think I made this up, but I didn't make this up. This is the honest truth. I was preaching in my church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, the hardware company had a major convention in Fort Wayne. <laughs> and I was in the pulpit preaching, and uh, to my amazement, Fred Lutenberger and his wife <laughs> walked into my church where I was preaching. You talk about Nathan. And they sat down in the third row. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I must have messed that message up so bad. And uh, I remember as soon as it was over and I could graciously get away, I, I, and we had a brief invitation. I walked off the platform and I went right back down there and I got their arms. I said, come with me. And I took them back to my study. And I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you remember uh, several years ago getting an envelope that just had $60 in it and there was no note or anything? And he, he said, yeah, that was strange, wasn't it? He said to his wife. I said, that was for me. And then I started to cry because this had been something that I'd been carrying for all these years. Isn't that something you could, how one little thing like that can just destroy you? And I said, Fred, I want to ask you to forgive me because I took some money when I was working for you as a 15-year-old boy. And I put it in my pocket and I took it home and I never did repay it. And I tried to repay it with that money that I sent you, but I know that's not the way it's done. So I'm here in this study and I'm asking you to forgive me. And they put their arms around me and hugged me and told me they loved me and thanked me for doing it. And you know what? I got to tell you something. There is nothing like the knowledge that you've been forgiven. Amen that God forgives you, that he will take away your guilt, and you can live without guilt. You don't have to deal with the guilt in your life. You can be free from it. God will forgive you, and I think most people will forgive you too. But you've got to ask God 
You've got to initiate the process. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven and whose iniquity is not counted against him. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers like Dr. David Jeremiah. Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. We hope you were inspired by today's message. God bless.